It uh, started for me in junior high school. I don't know when it started for you. But uh, I was taller than most. I shaved before most. Uh, And so junior high began to be a time of defining who I was and who I was going to be. Now, I wasn't much of an athlete. Grew up in a small town, and so I went out for sports. And, uh, well, they need bodies. And so I made the football team, and I made the basketball team, and I I wrestled because that's what you do in Iowa. Every young boy wrestles at some point in their life. But I began to realize that if you don't fit in, if you don't keep up, if you don't belong, you can get left behind. Now, truth of the matter was, uh, my family moved a lot. And so I was constantly playing this game. We grew up in small towns most of my life. And it was often just this incredible pressure to try and keep up or fit in. And you know, if you grew up in a small town, many small towns, you know, most of the kids have gone to school for decades, right? You know, uh, all the parents have decided who's supposed to marry who, right? And you end up jumping into a community that everybody already knows everything about everybody. And all of a sudden you're the new kid and you got to find a way to belong. You got to find your tribe. You got to figure out who you fit in with and, and who you belong with. And then everything shifted for me to a greater sense when I went to high school. I went to a high school that was larger than any community I had ever grown up in. When you go to a high school of 2,500 students, you feel the pressure of keeping up and fitting in at a whole nother level. It's one of those things that if you don't handle quickly, it can consume you. And for me, a lot of my life, it did consume me. It really started to to mark me and shape me. And I began to think about it. There's these rules that how do you mark your significance? How do you become somebody? How do you fit in and belong? And so uh, these are not formal rules, but as I I thought about them, I just wrote these down. First and foremost, rules for significance. One, find out who you are and be yourself. That seems fair, doesn't it? You can't be anybody else but you, so be yourself. Second of all, find a group uh, who is most like you and connect as deeply as you can. Sounds fair, right? If you're an athlete, hang out with athletes. If you're a musician, hang out with a musician. If you're a vocal, you know, whatever. Find find your group and you just dig in, become that person. Rule three, wear the appropriate uniform or the garb that matches your tribe. You been there, right? Yeah, yeah. I went through the jeans that were as big as a tree trunk on my legs, you know, and the flannel shirts. I did all that. I've been there, yeah. The fourth of all, represent your tribe and rise to the top no matter what. And that's, that's difficult. Clothes become, to be, be, become more than just covering your nakedness. They become your identity. Interests weren't just things that my family liked or things maybe I was talented in. They became the defining point. But then one day I, I was introduced to something that was kind of the, the equalizer the one that leveled all the playing fields for everybody around. This last weekend, I had a chance, uh, we were talking about this in our teaching team, about the great equalizer and that uh, I hadn't found mine in a while. And so I began to do some research this last, and many of you know me, this is probably more exciting for me than it is for you, but I love reliving my high school days. I'm I'm just going to say it, okay? And so I know I have a box that has keepsakes in it from my senior year. And so I, I found said box, okay? It says moldy, don't open, high school memorabilia. This is, this is my box. And I began to open it. And for you, it's not the opening of the Ark of the Covenant. But for me, it is. This is like the Holy of Holies. This is like the best days of Big Daddy Chef before he was shaped like a weeble wobble. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, those days. 
And so I began to open it, and I had a couple of different uh, yearbooks I pulled out. I found my, I found my bag of awards that's yes, yet to be used. Uh, these were uh, stripes that I was supposed to put on my, my letterman's jacket, you know, so that you could know how many letters I had won and medals that I had. And, and, and then I, <laughs> some of you are not ready for this moment. I'm just going to tell you, because I found it. I found it. And so I opened this box, and my kids are like, Dad, what can this be? What can this be? And I pull it out. And I found the great equalizer. You know what I'm talking about? So the equalizer is the jacket that says you are somebody. It's your Letterman's jacket. Now, apparently this isn't so cool anymore. I mean, why did we have to get rid of Letterman jackets? I mean, it was, it was the thing back in the day, right? And so I found mine. And, you know, of course, it, it wears my school colors and the school name on the back. And I, and I was holding it. And I was talking to my boys about how once you got a letter, then you could get a jacket. Because when you had a jacket and no letter, oh, that, then you just don't wear that, right? Right? So my boys were like, okay, well, let's see this. And see, in our school, let me just tell you this. This is what's important for you to understand. I went to a high school where we had sports and we, uh, we had games where we competed, but we weren't real competitive. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Went to a big high school, big city, all that kind of experience, and we just didn't do well. But our band was incredible. Our band got invited to go to Hawaii and Switzerland and Australia. And I can tell you my story about going to Australia. And I remember sitting with a senior one day going, hey, you know, I play football and I do band. What should I do? He says, well, you can pray that you'll make the playoffs by the time you're a senior or you can travel the world with a band. So I chose to travel with the band. Okay. Now, in most high school situations, we all understand that the top ring of power are athletes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah except in my high school. Because on your letterman's jacket, not only are you supposed to put all the letters that you win, but you're supposed to decorate your letter with all the trophies that you win, right? So you'd have pins and chevrons or medals or whatever it is. And so I, I had a couple of medals, okay? Now here's what was funny. If you were a letterman in football or wrestling or basketball, when you came down the steps and all the girls wanted to swoon, you just came down the steps, but if you were in band and you came down the steps, you would jingle. And so imagine this. The football team would come down the steps to silence. And the band would come down to jingling chest, right? Can I say that? We would just be making as much noise as possible. And we were like, I mean, if we were peacocks, we ruled the roost. You know what I'm saying? We were the group of power. It was the great equalizer. But if I'm honest, trying to keep up with status and stuff is extremely exhausting. Wouldn't you agree? And can't we all just say a big amen that aren't we thankful, thankful that as adults, we don't try and keep up in status and stuff, right? Yeah, it's so good that we grow out of these things, right? The truth of the matter is many of us jump right into the rat race. We get into it even more than what we were when we were in high school because now we can leverage our lives differently. Now we can do things with our lives that we could not do as children. And the challenge is when we jump into that kind of, kind of rat race, we start making terrible decisions. My wife and I decided a few years ago that we wanted to live as debt-free as possible as we could. So we began to listen to some people who, uh, who gave advice, and we decided we would only have our mortgage. And right now we have a car loan, but everything else we, we pay off every month. We try and keep everything as, as debt-free as we can. And I remember hearing this quote from Dave Ramsey and feeling like he went public about my life. Here's a quote. We buy things we don't need. 
with money that we don't have to impress people we don't like. I was so offended when Dave Ramsey went public with my life. I mean, I remember being that way in my marriage. I'm just like, oh, I can't, can't, that's so true. That's who I am. And we call this game keeping up with the Joneses, right? We want to stay just a step ahead of everybody else. We want to just have a little more than everybody else. And our stuff and our status is going to define us so that we can know that we are significant, that we matter to this world. We may not have a lot of stuff. We may not have a lot of status, but maybe we're jealous of the people who have a certain status or certain stuff. And so we, we, we stew over these kind of things. We spend time defining people who they are, whether they're white collar, blue collar, or no collar, whether they're a townie or a transplant, whether you're young or not so young, a, a tradesman or an executive, whether they got their GED, high school graduation, uh, associates, college, master's, doctorate, whatever. We, we like to label people. We like to put definitions on them. We like to fit them into boxes because then we can measure whether we're above them or beneath them. Is that too close? Are we talking too close today? That's real life though, isn't it? Don't we like feeling better than other people? Don't we like knowing that maybe we're ahead of somebody else? Now here's the question we want to ask today. Here's the question we want to ask today. Can I really find true meaning through stuff and status? Now, let's just be, be honest here. Let's be transparent here. Let's just lay it all out here. I know that because we're at church, all of us are going to say, no, 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 no. It's God, then family, then everything. Right. Okay. okay. Come on now. But if we believe that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the person of God lives in us. Do we understand that when we justify and lie to ourselves, we're not the only one listening to it? You, you hear what I'm saying? And so what if today we actually looked at this a little bit today and just said, okay, God, here's my life. Here's where I am. Let's talk about stuff and status. Let's talk about all the things that we pursue for significance. And let's be honest. Before myself, but most importantly, God, before you. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This is where the teacher is teaching. He's sharing some wisdom. He says this, starting in verse 13. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed to a warning. The youth may come from the prison to the kingship, or he may have been born of poverty within the kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before him. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, we started with this question. Can we really find significance in status and stuff? And the teacher is trying to lean in and say, hey, there, there are positions, there are people of power, no matter what they come from, and, and you see how all this is leveraged out. And at the end of the day, nobody really cares for it. Nobody really honors it. The teacher is trying to give some sort of sobering words of wisdom, understanding that how we become wrapped up in the materialism of this world, all the possessions we're piling up. The truth is we don't get to keep them forever because we are going to live forever. We all are going to end up in eternity, one destination or another. So let me show you something. Have you ever seen this picture? 
Ever seen this picture? Right? It's humorous. We think it's absurd, right? Nobody can really pack a U-Haul and take it with them when they die. But let's just pause for a little bit and think about human civilization for a moment, will you? If you go to a local museum and you see a pharaoh, right? And they show you the big pyramids. They show you where the kings are buried, right? And what's buried with the kings? Usually their household, right? Their money, some furniture, some gold, their cattle, their livestock, sometimes their wife. I mean, let's just think about this for a moment. When the king dies, if the wife is not dead, she is. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that a terrible world to think about that it's a matter of just possessions and even people themselves are possessions to pharaohs. But the ancient Greeks did something similar. When people passed away, they used to put two coins on the eyes of the deceased so that they could transition from this world to the world of the dead. And maybe you go, oh, that's, that's thousands of years ago, but let's go a few years back, quite a few years back, about Frank Sinatra. Do you know Frank Sinatra was buried, <laughs> I'm sorry, I try not to laugh about this, with a bottle of Jack Daniels whiskey, a pack of Camel cigarettes, a Zippo lighter, and a dollar's worth of dimes in case he needed to use a payphone, right? It's humorous. We laugh about this kind of stuff, but we all wish we could take stuff with us. But friends, we leave this life just like we came into this life as we are. We do. We don't take anything with us. You cannot take your stuff. You cannot take your status to the life beyond. Think about all the things that you call a huge priority, that you invest your life towards, your job, your dream house, your car, your education, maybe even the causes that you support, the influence that you have over people, or maybe even your, as simple as your favorite recliner. Meaningless. All these things are meaningless. All these pursuits are meaningless. Because in the view of eternity, they fail to meet the desire that we were created for. The truth is that some of our greatest pursuits end in death. Some of our greatest pursuits end in death. And in the game of life, all the pieces go back in the box. In exasperation, the teacher continues to lament in Ecclesiastes 3, chapter 20, when he says, all come from dust and all to dust all return. You know, on some level, I think we all go, okay, I get this. I realize this. We all know that we can't pack a suitcase and take it with us. We can't take a U-Haul to our grave. <laughs> Let me think about this for a moment. While we know that to be true, is it, is it changing the world we live in? No. It's only getting faster. As a matter of fact... When we look around in the world, we realize that our, position, our possessions, our fame, uh, are actually out of our control, causes many of us to double down because hey, we only live once, right? And Jesus tells this parable of a rich young fool. Those are harsh words for a parable. I mean, isn't Jesus supposed to always be nice? Isn't he always supposed to be compassionate? 
Well, here's the situation of what's happening in Luke chapter two. Jesus is teaching a group of people. There's a gathering that's shown up and two brothers are in the crowd arguing against each other because uh, someone has passed away in their life and there's an inheritance that family is squabbling over, okay? Not that this would apply to real life today, okay? But that's what's going on. And so they say, hey, 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 Jesus, make my brother share his inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, you know, he's like, okay, you want to jump on the dance floor? We can make this happen. Okay, so let me just tell you straight up. Be careful of all kinds of greed. And then he wants to tell a story. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, meaning it's a story that we can all look into and learn from, but it speaks to the reality of life. And so he says, so there's this farmer. You guys know what a farmer is, right? He works real hard. And matter of fact, he's got some barns and some bins, and he's filled them up. He's been, good, been a good steward, taking care of his life. But all of a sudden, one year, he has the harvest of all harvests. And he says to himself, self, I don't have enough barns. I don't have enough bins. Whatever am I going to do? And he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear them all down. I'm going to build bigger barns and bigger bins. And then I'm going to fill them up. And I'm going to sit back. And I'm going to enjoy life and book my flight to Tahiti. Jesus says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Jesus says to this rich young fool that his life that day is going to be asked of and accounted for on the spot. And then he says this nice little piece of advice. This is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. You know, at that point, I think the crowd's going, shouldn't we have gone home for lunch at this point? We, we didn't need to stay for that last illustration. You know what I'm saying? That means it's uncomfortable to hear that out loud. Jesus literally calls out this family, says that this young fool in this story is a, called out for his life and he is going to be accounted for everything he has because he has lived his life for himself, not for God. Do you ever play this game in your home? If you won the lottery, what would you do? My, my mom came to visit me this last week. And so while she was here, we were taking a trip. And she turned to my two young boys and she said, hey, if you won the lottery, what would you do? Now, the way people answer says a lot about who they are, their worldview, and their perspective. Not necessarily good or bad. Not necessarily good or evil. It just says how you think about the world. And it's interesting. Mom's first question would always be, will you take it in one lump sum? Or you, will you take it in installments? You know, of course, the young kids are like, well, I'll take it in installments because I want to get as much as possible and have it play out for life. And I don't control my money real well now, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and live it out. You ask me full out, and I just say, well, if I play the lottery, and I never have, but if I did, I'd take it all in one lump sum. And my mom always says, why? And I said, well, because I don't know if tomorrow is going to be here, and I want to make sure we get to leverage it in some way. Okay, that's just honest. But oftentimes what happens, the next question that comes to the table is this. Will you continue to work? Now, some of us would say, is, is that good or bad? The reality is that God has given us each talents and abilities. And to not leverage them in the world, however that may be, is a significant loss to the kingdom of God. That who you are, the talents that you have, the ethic, the work that you are able to give to the world, to remove that from the DNA of humanity and the world around you has implications into eternity. 
And so Jesus challenges people to understand that all that they have and all that they are is from God. It's a gift. Why? To let them understand that accumulating wealth and accomplishments does not provide true meaning. Excuse me. So let me ask this question. What truth are we living about our status and in our stuff? Do we live for the moment now? Or do we live with a perspective for eternity? Because if all that we have and all that we are is from God, then shouldn't we leverage it back to him? Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 and verse 15. Whoever, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Isn't that true? This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And at what benefit are they to their owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Everyone comes naked from the womb, and, every, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil. They can't carry it in their hands. Now, when we started this conversation a couple weeks ago, we talked about this idea of hevel, the Hebrew word hevel, which is meaningless, or it's a mist, a lack of clarity, a lack of purpose, it begins to make us precautious about the world that we're a part of. And so there's a slight tweak that we need to understand. The pursuit, or the point isn't that pursuing wealth is meaningless. The point is that you can't find true meaning in the pursuit itself. Do you understand the difference? Let me just say this for a moment. Some of you in this room have the ability to acquire great wealth. And that is not evil. Okay? It's not evil. Some of you have great influence and great status and great opportunity to change the world, and that is not evil. What's wrong is when we only leverage it for ourselves or for our moment. Perhaps God has given us the ability for stuff or for status to, to be able to make a great living so that we might leverage our life, all that we are and all that we have, back for God's glory and God's credit. Because here's what's concerning. Our appetite to amass stuff and status increases. And it requires us for more. And the only way that we learn how to control our appetite for more is to exercise the idea the actions that all that I have and all that I am is for God's glory and for his greater good. Here's a great quote I love, to, I love to bring up every now and then when we talk about this stuff. It's from Jim Carrey, right? The comedic genius. Here's what he says. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so they can see that it's not the answer. I love that quote. Matter of fact, when you look it up on Google, you can find several, several resources that give this quote. You know what never follows this quote, though? An answer. An answer. What is true meaning? 
then what is it that really matters? What Jim Carrey is saying is saying, hey, I grabbed the tiger by the tail. I chased it back to its den. I experienced the full experience of life and I'm at the end of it and I'm like, is this all there is? Meaningless, meaningless. It's all gonna be gone. It's significant. I think it's significant. A man who's had it all would seem to make that kind of statement and yet not be able to give some sort of answer. Here's what I want you to know today. Our identity is rooted in the significance of our Savior, not our stuff and not our status. Isn't that so simple? Who we are, how we live our life, the way we determine our marriage, the way we, we choose the career that we choose, the, the reason we get up every day and go do things, it's not because of the paycheck or the position, but it's about the person of God that we know to be true in our life, that Jesus Christ came and gave his life. He gave up his power, his privilege, everything so that we might know God's love. He gave of himself. He died his death on a cross. He overcame sin and death so that we might have Eternal significance, eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and a life that echoes well beyond the here and the now. So you and I, we can choose. We can choose whether to live in this rat race and try and keep up with the Joneses, or we can begin to live a life that says, all that I am and all that I have, God, I surrender it to you. Because I don't know about you, but Keeping up is hard enough. Keeping up with Jesus is hard enough. I don't need to try and keep up with the Joneses as well. I think that's why Dave Ramsey can make this statement as well. After he's been a man who's been bankrupt several times, he can speak from his own experience when he says this, that we need to live like no one else now so we can live like no one else. I wish he would have said it this way. We learn to live like no one else now so that we can, you can learn to live like no one else forever. I mean, that's, that's the issue, right? That with stuff and status, we're spending so much of our time making sure we got the right shoes on, the right, the right clothes on, the right car, the right girl on our arm, the right whatever you want. We, we make it all about stuff and status, and we miss the picture of what God could be doing in the midst of us. Jesus challenges us to uh, look at where we treasure because that's where our heart is. So he says a couple things to us. It says, you know, where your heart is or where your treasure is, there is your heart, your heart will be also. And begins to confront the very things that in our pursuit, in our walk, that we need to walk away from those to pursue what's truly eternal. And so let me give you three quick reminders and, of how I think we need to begin to confront and address this so that we can start living in more of a, a kingdom eternal mindset. And the first is this. We have to hold on to the truth that stuff and status will never satisfy. It's not found there. Second is more is never enough. That's what scripture is trying to tell us. The more you want, the more you want. The more you earn, the more you want to earn. I think third of all, contentment is only found in Jesus. Can I say this to his friends? When it comes to wealth, when it comes to your career, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to the direction of your life, finding friends, finding purpose, until you find contentment in the strength and power of Jesus, you will chase everything else. 
You will. So we have to have the mindset of a transformed life. I love how the Apostle Paul, one of the great leaders in the church, he talks about this. He, he was a man who once was living very religious towards God. And in that experience, he thought he was doing the right thing and found himself literally in rebellion against God. Found himself in a, in a, in a supernatural experience where God met him on a road, a bright light, a loud voice, and yelled out, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And there began to be this huge transformation in the life of Paul. Realizing that the resurrected Jesus is the King of Kings. Realizing that his life's journey, all the things that he had acquired for himself were nothing. To the point that he writes this letter to a group that live in Philippi. And he says this. What, what is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them garbage that I may gain, that I may gain Christ. And that's, that's a passage that's hard to live out. There are a lot of great things in this world. And I I know some of us are probably like, yeah, but you don't know my story. You don't know where I've grown up. You don't know how hard life's been. I, I probably don't know your story. And you probably don't know mine. But the truth of the matter is, all of us, all of us never find the significance that we ultimately want until we come to know Christ. I love how Paul says it, but the English translation doesn't really do it good. Paul is trying to say, I I was... As a Jew of Jews, I was a man among men. I was a person of power and influence. And I consider all my trophies, all the things that I've acquired, everything that I had for myself, all the titles, influence, and all the popularity, I consider it all, the English says, garbage. If you were to actually break that word down from the original, how it was used, it's the same word that we use for animal dung. Now, you can put your own spin that you want on that, Okay. But can I just, I'm not trying to be crass, but can I put it in a junior high terms for you today? That outside of knowing Jesus, everything, is, everything else is crap. It is. It just doesn't matter. So let's move to our time of response. At this time in the service, for those of you who are maybe guests today and maybe never been a part of a worship experience with us, we actually leverage part of this service to move in this moment, to respond back to God. Some will come forward to these benches up here and they'll pray as we we stand and sing in just a moment. Some of them will move to a table where they'll uh, take communion, which is where everyone who has a relationship with Christ comes, eats the bread and drinks the juice to be reminded it was God's body and his blood that was broken and shed for our behalf. And then we'll also move to these offering boxes to the side. There we can put connection cards about decisions of faith, questions that we have about life. And we can put those in, the, in those offering boxes because we're offering ourselves back to God. But we also put our tithes and offerings. But let me take us back to when we were talking before. For those of us that are Christ followers... When we ask a question, can we truly find meaning in stuff or status? And we verbally say no, but in our hearts, we know that we're living yes. There's a conflict, right? And, and I always have to remind myself that all the lies and justification that I give myself, 
all the things that I say just to, to push a little farther or keep a certain behavior going, that the more I tell myself that, I'm not the only one listening. That God is listening. Because his spirit lives in me, in us. And so when we talk about search for significance and status and stuff, oftentimes we evaluate it through, through three lenses. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so it got me thinking about this this morning. How, if, I was to, if I was to begin to apply this to my own life, how do I live in some ways that maybe I'm, uh, I'm living for status and significance rather than my Savior? And I'd have to say, well, it's the ways that I live for the future as opposed to living for eternity. First and foremost, I think many of us have the wrong benchmark. Let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. So like in my, in my marriage, maybe you're like me, husband or wife, that you've got a career that you love. And so you leverage it. You give your all towards it. You pour yourself into your gifts, your talents, your profession. You want to be able to provide in some sort of way. You want to be significant at work so it significantly cares and provides for what you have at home or who you have at home. The reality is sometimes when we take a moment to look through our time and our talent and our treasure, And if we're measuring it by our future or by our eternity, some of us, and I have had to say this to myself at times, would have to admit that the significance that we're chasing in our career, in our job, in our wealth, is significantly damaging in the relationship that we have with our spouse or even our children. Or I think about the way that I help my kids pursue their future. I I want my kids to be fully who God has created them to be. I want them to experience their gifts, their talents, their abilities. I want them to be able to chase that with all that they had. And I want them to have more than what I had. So I think about whether it's sports or music. I think about all the uniforms that I invest in, all the hours of practice that I invest in, all 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 the trips that I invest in. And I think sometimes if I'm honest with myself, that when I look at how I'm measuring my children's life, I may be deeply investing in their future, hoping that they get a scholarship, hopefully that they know who they are by their 20, hopefully that they can contribute back to society, but I miss the measurement of have I created an environment where they're looking at their eternity. Hear me out, friends. I'm not anti-marching band or, or traveling sports, but here's what concerns me is we have an entire generation that is bending its knee to the issue of traveling whatever because parents will prioritize a ball or a bat for their shoes, for their uniform, for their horn, for their hat, and never once on a trip stop to say, hey, yeah, you are a musician. You are an athlete. But above all else, you are created to be unique in Jesus Christ. And this morning, before you ever swing at a ball, Before you ever blow a note, as a family, we're going to open the word. I want to share a devotion with you. And I want to tell you and remind you that whether we sing or dance, or whether we play or write, whatever we do, it only has significance in the view of God's eternity. 
You understand what I'm saying? Guys, I'd fail at that. So, Dad, what if before you took her out for betting practice on a Saturday morning at somebody else's town that you don't know who they are, what if you took her to breakfast and took your Bible and you sat down and said, can we? I know you're missing junior high service this morning. I know you're not having Sunday school. What about on those Thursdays and Friday nights when you're traveling? Do you ever sit down at dinner and say, hey, how's your devotional life going? What's it look like to live as a person towards God? Because friends... I realize college debt is scary, but I fear even greater the reality of a child that grows up who does not know God personally. That's their real meaning. That's their real purpose. And so in just a moment, we have a chance to be honest with ourselves and honest before God. We can pause and we can pray and we can maybe ask for repentance or we can maybe pause in celebration. We can pause for a moment, we can eat the bread and we can drink the juice and we can be reminded of how great God is that he gave it all. And we'll have a chance to give through our tithes and offerings. How will we respond? I think the challenge for all of us is to say this, no matter what we say, we have to be reminded that we're not the only one listening. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And we're going to get ready to sing. And I'm going to give you permission not to sing this first song, okay? Because it is so simple, and I think it is so offensive if it's not meant. The song is this. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. And I want you to think about that. In your time, in your talent, and in your treasure. Do you leverage? Do you prioritize your life for the future or for the eternity? And do you look for what takes care of tomorrow or do you look to take a step that encourages trust in your relationship with Christ? Let's pray. God, you know that I love you and you know that I love these people. I don't know every single one of them. I don't know what's going on in their homes. But God, every day I wrestle with single parents who are trying to make ends meet. And they wrestle with this. What, what needs to change? I wrestle with parents every day who they have little monsters on their hands because their kids aren't happy enough because they don't have the right this, they don't have the right that, and they never let me do this, and they never let me do that. And, and I feel the pain sometimes of what, it, what it's like to be a parent. I feel the weight of a household or to have the responsibility of helping shape a community. But God, this is not just my battle or our battle. God, this is your battle. And so God, we bend our knee to you today. We say we don't have it together. And God, we admit that one of the reasons we never fully engage in you is because our hands are so full of stuff and status. We're trying to grab a hold of this and grab a hold of that. And God, until we surrender, until we let it go, we will never fully embrace you. God, our stuff and our status only makes sense 
when you're at the center of our lives. And so God, if that means I have to walk through a dark valley in my marriage, then God, help me be reminded that you may lead me through this valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil. For your rod, for your staff, they comfort me. And when I pursue things that, that are of greater wealth or greater affluence, may I be reminded that you lead me to still waters and green pastures. You set a table for me even amongst my enemies. But God, I trust you. And so God, as the people of God, we stand here today surrendering what we have back to you singing with us authentic hearts and genuine hearts. We don't have it all together, but God, today it's our prayer. All to you we surrender. And so God, meet us in this moment. Stir us up from inside out. Pour us out if you have to. Refill us with your spirit, but God, consume us with you. And God, may we fully chase you with all that we have and all that we are for your glory and your honor. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen.